If you enjoy Champions for Children, be sure to check out the new podcast from Nemours Children's Health, Well Beyond Medicine. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts or at NemoursWellBeyond.org to continue hearing the stories of anything and everything related to the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. And now, the episode of Champions for Children you requested. Enjoy! If we can provide the best quality care that we can and provide this other layer of gaming that could be a distraction for them, it could be a way that they relax, it could be a way that they feel connected. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. I'm Carol Vassar, and today we're talking about video games and gaming in the healthcare setting with Scott Shaw, whose voice you just heard. Scott is the Nemours Child Life Gaming and Technology Specialist, one of just 50 such people in the world in the burgeoning field of gaming and healthcare. He joined Nemours seven months ago in a position funded in part by a grant from Child's Play, a game industry charity whose motto is, play games, feel better. Child's Play provides not only funding, but technical assistance and ongoing education to grantees for the purpose of making the healthcare experience a little less daunting for patients, families, and even staff, as you'll hear shortly. Scott comes to Nemours with a background in sports video production, including Major League Baseball, downhill skiing and snowboarding, even coverage of the 1996 Olympic Games in Atlanta. Most recently, he spent more than a decade at Wilmington University in Delaware, where he created and led the Game Design and Development Bachelor's Degree Program. And he's bringing all of that background and experience to Nemours to benefit our patients. Here's Scott Shaw. So I I really like kind of the spot that I'm in here currently because it culminates all of those things that I've acquired over the years of how to fix technology when it goes sideways or, you know, we have part A and part B and we don't have the thing in the middle that connects them all. So using kind of that vast array of technical skills from development and programming and everything else all the way to the video and and production side of things, I kind of bring all that to the table and folks will call me and say, hey, I need a game system set up, which is great. You can, you know, bring a game system in and plug it in, but you really get the benefit out of it, at least for me, the reward for me is talking with the patient, right? So you say, oh, hey, I heard you like Minecraft or Fortnite or whatever game it is that they uh, are interested in playing. And you see the transformation on their face go from like, I don't want to be here to, oh, wait, you mean I can play my favorite game while I'm here? Yeah, I'd like that. So seeing that uh, along with bringing in the game system in the first place, that's kind of the rewarding part for me. And then a lot of parents will still be in the room and I explained who I am, what I'm doing, and I'm bringing in a video game system for them to play on. And part of my job, if you get tired of playing with mom or dad or just by yourself, Part of my job is to come in and play games with you. And usually the parents are like, are you kidding me? That is so awesome, you know? Or if doctors or nurses that aren't familiar with what I do are in the room, they're like, wow, that is so wonderful that we have that here. Because a lot of times parents 
won't really take the time to understand what games mean and are and how important it is to the folks that play them. And when you have somebody who can connect on that level, it becomes a lot more rewarding for everybody. So that's, that's the, the small part of what I do. And in our conversations with child play, um, the child's play charity is like, what's the elevator pitch? Like, what do I need to know about this position? And they, they said, you know, it kind of comes down to four things. One is just support and installation of the game systems, making sure they run right. The second is playing games with kids while they're here to provide that sense of connection and normalcy that they may have had at home. And then the third one is to, to do co-treats. Like if I notice that, you know, farther on in our conversation, we'll talk a little bit about VR, but that's a good example of co-treating where the, the OT or PT folks may want to use that. They're not going to be familiar with VR or what games or what's in it or how to even turn it on or put it on properly or prepare somebody who's never done it before. And then I can do that and step in and, and co-treat with that. And then the last one is projects. Things like I built a uh, a bingo board so that we can automate all of the pieces coming on in a randomized fashion with a little bit of pizzazz and whatever images or themes that they want to use, we can put that in and, and get one built rather quickly uh, as opposed to, you know, what they were doing before is just like putting them up on the green screen uh, manually with, with uh, printed out pieces. So that's kind of the, the four elements of what child's play and what child life wants me to do here at Noir's. The four pillars of having gaming in a healthcare system. Let me ask about that. Some people might say, that sounds interesting, but the matchup might not be in people's minds gaming and healthcare. What is the importance? What role does it play for kids and families? You've alluded to that a little bit and also to staff. Yeah. Don't let me forget to come back to the staff piece because I want to talk about that separately. But when we have game systems and gaming as a part of our kind of treatment plan or what we want to provide beyond just making them feel better, right? Because you take a patient out of, you know, they, they probably have their own room. They may have their own Xbox. That's how they connect socially with their friends outside of school, potentially. I know my son does all the time. And when they come here to the hospital, they're getting jabbed, they're getting poked, they're, they're taking meds. They're, they probably aren't feeling well, right? And the only thing that would provide them a little bit of comfort would be to be on their own bed and be surrounded with their own stuff. Well, gaming is very much part of that, I would say, envelope or bubble that they want to go back to as a comfort mechanism. So if we can provide the best quality care that we can and provide this other layer of gaming that could be a distraction for them. It could be a way that they relax. It could be a way that they feel connected. It could be a way that they can think about other things and analyze things. A comfort level. So all of those things that you know, child life wants to provide, not only the education of what's happening to them and, and how, but here's some other stuff that we can do while you're here. And gaming provides that in a way that is unlike any other uh, activity or, or device even. So I hope that answers the question on that portion. It does. And I, I want to kind of extend that by, by asking the therapeutic components to gaming. Is there a therapeutic component to gaming and to the services you provide in your position? I believe so. And again, my background's not 
really in the medical aspect of things, but in terms of what I've done as an educator and how people come and talk to me and how I've seen games evolve into this almost common base that folks can talk about a lot of hard stuff. But when you start talking about someone and and talking to them about what they enjoy playing, like let's say it's Minecraft, right? I sat with a patient the other day for about 45 minutes. We played Minecraft and we were both kind of like fading into that, like, you know, zone where you're just focused on what you're doing. And both of us kind of looked at each other like, are you tired? Yeah, I'm tired. Maybe, maybe I'll come back tomorrow. And so it was just this kind of revelation that we were like both at the same spot. Like it was late in the day. We could talk about it, but we were having fun and just providing that distraction. And I don't know how else to kind of describe it, but you're not focused on why I'm here. You're focused on, I need to build this. There's zombies coming in. I need to mine this particular element so I can build this. And all of those things uh, focuses you on meaningful work. So there's a wonderful book uh, by Jane McGonigal called Reality is Broken. And it kind of unwraps this notion that gaming is meaningless, right? But it's not. It, It has meaningful work. And if you think about anything that you're asked to do as part of your job, gaming gives you instant feedback as to how well you're doing all the time. You know what your health is, you know what your objectives are, you know how to get to your objectives. Usually you have some idea, but it makes it feel meaningful about the activities and things that you do inside the game. And you know how well you're doing. And if you die, that's okay. If you get respawned somewhere else, that's okay. If all your Pokemon faint and you've got to go back to the gym to to revitalize them, that's okay. That's all part of this process. And so I think those elements bring in that meaningfulness for the person who's playing. So I've met with some patients in our clinic. And what we've done is we're trying to get a Minecraft server together that we can rebuild the hospital. And so they're brothers. And so they have been working on this and they've created their own Discord server so that we can have communications around it. And we've looked at several different ways of utilizing Minecraft servers to kind of rebuild the hospital and put in a lot of, you know, effort in building it, but also allow other patients to participate in the construction or the reconstruction or the design or whatever else. So that's, that's being worked on. And it's an exciting little project from the outside. It just doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. Like parents see them playing for hours and hours and they're like, I don't, I don't get it. And that's because they haven't been in it and they haven't seen you know, the 15 hours it takes to build something really great in Minecraft. So one of the things that you you mentioned, not just the therapeutic value that you're advocating, but that connection between the example you just gave yourself and this patient who were playing Minecraft and after 45 minutes, you connected in real life. Talk about that connection. It sounds like it's really an important part of what you do. Yeah, it, it, it is. And I think because it happens on a console or a computer, or with a controller, sometimes we forget that it's almost just like any other activity that we're doing. You have sports fans who rally around common teams, right? If you have an Eagles jersey on and someone else has an Eagles jersey on, you're, you're instant buddies and you can talk about everything and anything with the Eagles. It's the same way with games. 
you know, we may look a little bit nerdy and we may use terms that are unfamiliar, but, you know, a lot of those sports terms may sound unfamiliar if you're not used to talking about sports. You know, there was a, a saying or a meme that was out there that said, fantasy football is just D&D for jocks, right? <laughs> so your your players have stats in both. Your players have really good abilities and things that they're good at that you have to have them part of a team to function. It's the same thing in D&D as it is in fantasy football. So I think a lot of people just, because they're not familiar with it, distance themselves automatically rather than saying, hey, I, I can learn this stuff too. And a lot of times I'll encourage parents to really play the games with their kids because then it gives them an understanding and they end up making those bonds even stronger within the game because it's something that they have a commonality about and they, they're invested in whatever their kids are doing. And for the uninitiated, D&D is Dungeons and Dragons. Correct. Which started as a board game, but is played online as well um, and also played virtually. I know my husband does that with his friends that he's been doing for many years. So, yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about any adjustments that need to be made uh, to bring gaming to kids whose disabilities might otherwise pose barriers to their play. One of the things that I kind of started with Wellington University was our esports program. So esports are basically competitive video gaming, either solo or team members competing against each other that may not be in the, they may be in the local region, but they may be from anywhere in the world. And I, I heard it somewhere and I, I don't have who said it, but they said, I want to make esports instead of standing for electronic, I want it to stand for everyone. Because if you think about it, you don't have to be physically able to play these games. There's adaptive controllers, there's keyboard and mice, there's all different kinds of input devices and adaptability that can be made in order to play Hearthstone just as good as anyone else that's playing Hearthstone. Uh, if you want to play Fortnite, you know, we worked with a patient that had lost some ability on one side. So how do we get a controller that has a multitude of buttons all mapped to a, a way that is functional for them. Well, it's all buttons. It's not like you have to train how to catch a football, right? You, you don't have to run routes. You don't have to physically do those things. So if we can figure out a way to make the inputs match to what the patient or the player's abilities are, it's just up to them on how they want to play. And so removing that barrier really starts to bring some equality across the board to what video games can do in esports or any kind of competitive gaming. But it doesn't have to be just that. It, it can be console games. It can be solo adventures. But, you know, imagine not being able to do what you want in physical real life, but then going into a virtual world and being able to not only just do what you want to do, but you might be able to fly. You may be able to cast spells. You may be able to do things that are just humanly not possible. So why not take advantage of that? So that's really that's really true for anyone who's playing games, but specifically for kids with disabilities, there are adaptive measures that you can bring to bear. Yes, yes. You mentioned VR. Let's talk about VR a little bit, specifically VR distraction therapy. What is that? So I wouldn't necessarily call VR distraction therapy. It can be therapeutic, okay. but there's really not that defined therapy 
that we normally use around these parts, I'll say. So, but what VR is really good at, and this is one of the things that child's play when we meet as a, as a group of gaming and tech individuals, there's a lot of discussion around. There's a lot of interesting approaches to VR. There's a lot of good ways that VR can be beneficial to the patient experience on a whole bunch of different levels. So the, the cool thing about VR is that it is immersive. You're taking yourself from this physical space and you're, you know, putting these goggles on, which feels weird at first. And you've got your hands and sometimes you grab the wrong controllers. So they're mixed up. And, you know, so once you get past that part, VR is really good at taking you away from what you're physically dealing with. At a conference, a developer was talking about when they were testing an early, like almost like cooking simulator. And the fellow's grandmother, they wanted to test it. So they put his grandmother in. And at the time, the controllers were really, really expensive. Like this is at the, at the cusp of it. And so she was trying out the, the kitchen stuff and she's rather short. And there is a counter in front of her in virtual reality that wasn't there in physical reality. And she went to lean on the counter and it wasn't there. And so they, they caught their grandmother, but she dropped the controller and broke it. And so they had to wait like another month to get one. But that level of immersion where you actually think the space that you're in is the space that you're in and that disconnect that has such magical properties that we have yet to kind of really figure out. I know in physical therapy, sometimes they'll do a range of motions, right? Uh, do this stretch or this motion over and over and over again. Why? Other than just to get me to move. VR, you can integrate it into the gameplay where it's a necessary criteria for success. So for instance, Beat Saber is used quite frequently. You have two lightsabers. You have blocks coming at you with little arrows on them, and you have to slice it in the direction of the block. Super fun game, great music, great atmosphere. They've really tied it all together, but they've also done some really important things where you can turn off, like you have to like duck sometimes or move side to side so you can turn that off. You can make it so it's no fail, right? Where they, they miss as much as you possibly can and the game doesn't stop. It still gives you the option to carry on. So what does that do? Well, the patient or the player has to move their arms in certain directions and you get more points the more you swing. That's a, a great example. And then you have, let's say, what if a patient only has one arm? Well, there's solo, like solo saber. So you don't have to use two. You can only use one. From Child's Play, they actually had somebody duct tape it to somebody's foot. So they were using their feet to play. So again, like the adaptability of the game systems itself and the game's uh, mechanics really lend to this really magical mix of like, what can't we do now? Well, let me ask this. Is there untapped potential in both VR and in gaming in the healthcare system, in the healthcare setting? I believe that to be very, very true. When I started the game design program at WellMU, we were looking at a lot of ways to do VR type stuff within healthcare, right? What do, what do nurses need to do when a patient first comes into the exam room? Uh, we did actual work with a doctor that was here about 
the difference between pediatric emergency room care and uh, adult emergency room care. There's a big difference. So there's all kinds of products coming out almost on a daily basis of medical usage for gaming, game-like mechanics, game-like devices like VR. And I think we're just getting started to see what we could be doing, how it can be applied, where it can go. But we also, like, on the flip side, we need a lot more people to start developing for these types of things because it, it takes a very long time to to build a really good quality visual aesthetic. It's not just like Mario where you have a 2D kind of framework which to work within. You have 3D that you have to make sure not just the front sides are painted, but everything is painted because you're probably going to walk around it or go inside of it or pick it up and examine it. And that type of work takes a whole lot of time and a whole lot of talent. And that's where we need more and more game design and developers out there doing this type of work to really start to crack open. Let's circle back to the staff question. What role does gaming play for the staff and how do you interface with the staff? It sounds like you've gotten a few calls just today from staff. Yes. So the staff portion is great because they're here to, to make sure that they're providing the best care they can for the patients that we serve. The last thing that they want to be doing is figuring out why the Xbox controller isn't working, right? So I am so happy to be called for those things where I can come in, fix the issue, reboot, reinstall, get a different whatever, and fix that issue because then it makes me, it makes me feel appreciated for one, which I love. And, you know, it also takes a burden off of our staff because then they don't have to worry about it. They can worry about the stuff they need to worry about and not give the technology a second thought. Let me ask you this. In the time that you've been with Nemours, is there a patient or a family, without going into a lot of detail because of privacy, that you would like to share a little story about with our listeners? Absolutely. So I'm going to tell two stories, Sure. I guess. One of my very first patients, they brain injury. And, you know, again, it was that patient I was mentioned before with they lost some use of their, I believe, their left hand. So we were looking at ways to use the Xbox adaptive controller to kind of adapt to what they needed. And they came in after they bought an aftermarket controller that remapped all the buttons to the right side. And they provided a, a joystick, but we couldn't really strafe, which means moving sideways okay. uh, in games. And so we we met with them and and... I just said, you know, let's let's get some sticky tack, you know, the things you used to put on your you know, your walls in college to hold posters up. Let's put that joystick on the bottom and invert the stick so that you can rest it on your leg and move the bottom joystick while using your thumb on the top joystick. So that allowed him to look with the top joystick and move side to side or frontwards, backwards with the bottom joystick. And... I was like, do you think that'll work? And he's like, yeah, I'll try it. So we cleared him. I'm like, how's that working out? And he's like, oh, it's perfect. I'm, I'm playing back to where I am. So that, that's another good one. And, um, second patient, another a patient on the same floor of rehab and, and physical therapy and things like that. And I saw that they really enjoyed soccer. And so we played soccer quite a bit. And this was right before the world cup. 
And I probably spent a lot of time playing soccer (laughs) with this particular patient. And it was something that they looked forward to. I'd ask them early in the day, like, hey, we're going to play soccer today. And they're like, oh, yeah. What time? <laughs> like, to the point where they're like trying to schedule their day to play. And I saw this individual patient not remembering which buttons to use to kick in my butt 7 0 on most days. So to see that progress and to see that level of enjoyment, to see that, that want and that need to, to play on a regular basis, to, to do something that they felt good at doing. That was the best, you know, the best part of it. So that was really rewarding for me as well as to see them progress that way is just awesome. I'm impressed by um, how rewarding you do find the work. Can you single out what you find most rewarding about it? I don't want to cop out and say like everything, but when you get to bring a controller or, you know, hand that controller over to a patient, after putting the game system in, if they've just gotten here, if they've been here for a couple of days, and give them the control and be like, all right, you're all set. And to see the smile on their face and to see the parents being thankful, I'll take that all day. Scott Shaw is Nemours Child Life Gaming and Technology Specialist. He is based at Nemours Children's Hospital in Delaware. Learn more about the work of the Child's Play Charity by visiting their website, childsplaycharity.org. We'll put that link in the show notes, too. Also, if you'd like to donate directly to the work Scott is doing with the Child Life Gaming and Technology Program here at Nemours, you'll find a link to that in the show notes as well. Please be sure to select Gaming and Technology under Donation Details. The Nemours Champions for Children podcast is always looking for guests, so if you have a Nemours story to tell or know of one you'd like to hear more about, email us at podcast at Nemours.org. That's podcast at Nemours.org. Thank you to our production team for their support this week, Che Parker, Cheryl Munn, and Rachel Salas-Silverman. The Champions for Children podcast is found on Nemoorsnet, the Nemours Now app, your favorite podcast app, and your smart speaker. Please be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Our music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions in Turner's Falls, Massachusetts. On behalf of Scott Shaw, I'm Carol Vassar, and we thank you for joining us for this edition of the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. Until next time, please stay safe, stay well, and thank you for all that you do for the children and families we serve. <laughs>